Good morning. We have a very interesting passage um, that we will read again in a second. But before we get there, um, you might know what the next picture is, what era it's from, what event it's from, and you might not. If you do, discuss it with the guy next to you. If you don't, ask the person next to you, what on earth is this about? For about 10 seconds, we'll see what comes up. Anybody want to take a guess what that is? Because you lived through it, Patty. No, no, you didn't. Okay, so Patty said, Prohibition era in America, I think 1920 to 33, some hardline Christians in government decided alcohol is bad. We'll ban all alcohol, the production, distribution, the sale. We'll throw it down the drain. And the funny thing is, they thought they were doing a good thing, but the unintended consequences of the Prohibition era was an absolute explosion in the distribution and sale of illegal alcohol and unregulated alcohol, and in many cases, alcohol that was poisonous. Not only that, but organized crime in the city seemed to explode with it. And a big part of the fortune that a guy like Al Capone um, amassed for himself was from the trade in, uh, in, uh, during the Prohibition era. So they thought they were doing something good, and it ended up not working. And after a few years, they decided, no, no, no. Alcohol isn't bad or good. We need to change the way we, we, we relate to it. And so they lifted the ban and tried something else. Next one might be a bit more difficult, but you guys will get it. What is, what is the picture on the left and the picture on the right have in common apart from the one being the food of the other, do you think? Any guesses? Rats? Cobras? I'll tell you what it is. During the 20th century, the British government in India had a problem with the amount of cobras in town. Cobras. Not coconuts, cobras. But they could have a problem with the coconuts as well. And so they said to the local population, oh, we'll pay you for every cobra skin you bring us. The idea being... You'll go out and catch and cure the cobras. You'll bring us the skins and get paid, and there'll be less cobras, and you'll get some money for it. And you know what the people started doing? They started breeding cobras so they could hand in the skins. And when the British government in India realized this, they said, oh, okay, no, now we're not giving you any more money for the skins. And you know what the people did? They released all the cobras into the wild. And so they had even more venomous cobras than they had before. And nothing had changed. They took one step forward and two steps back. This is actually a a, a pretty well-known concept in economics. It's called the cobra effect. It's when you, with with the best intentions, do one thing, expecting one outcome, and the law of unintended consequences knocks you off your feet, and there's another outcome that you didn't expect. The same thing, well, a similar thing happened in Vietnam in 1902. They had a rat infestation in Hanoi. And so the government said to the people, well, we'll pay you a cent for every rat tail you bring us. And so people started bringing rat tails. And then the authorities started noticing, man, there are a lot of rats in Hanoi that don't have any tails. So instead of catching and killing the rats, the people were catching them, cutting off their tails and letting them go free because then they can breed. And then there's more rats to cut the tails off of. It's the cobra effect, but you can call it the Vietnam rat effect if you want. It's doing something with one intention, 
and not paying enough attention to all the different factors that go around it, that go with it, and then having unintended consequences that you don't know how to deal with. Leave that, park that there for a second. If, Dave, if I can ask you to go back to the scripture reading, please, that we can have another look at that before we get deeper into unintended consequences. We'll have a look at one or two things. Oh, there we go. Uh, one more. Uh, Paul is saying, well, Paul is quoting the Corinthians, saying, I have the right to do anything, yes, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, yes, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food is for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both, but the body is meant is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. I want you to pay close attention to that verse. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Next one. Oh, well, I'll do it from this side. Thank you. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said that two will become one flesh. And the next one, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And now we can go back to the, to the uh, uh, Cobra slide. Um, I'm doing the reading again because we're talking about rules for freedom. We're talking the last few weeks and into the, into the year about how God doesn't give us rules to cage us in, but to set us free. And we've been talking about this and talking about this specifically from the book of Corinthians, the letter of Corinthians. And now Paul comes up and he lays down a pretty strict rule. But he starts by saying, some of you think, oh, because I've been set free by grace, I can do anything. Because God has forgiven all my sins and because God is so gracious that he will continue to forgive all my sins, it doesn't matter what I do. I can eat what I want. I can live how I want. I can sleep with whoever I want. And God will keep on forgiving me. And Paul says, hang on. Everything is permitted, but not everything is beneficial. Now, we need a little bit of context before we go further about who Paul is speaking to and what Paul is speaking about. He's writing to the people in Corinth. Corinth was a bit... Um, was a bit like uh, Las Vegas is today. It was, it was a bit of the sin city of the uh, Hellenistic world. Harbor town, and if you live in a harbor town, new people coming in every single day, new people setting up shops, selling their wares, teaching their services, teaching their religions. It's a complete mess of diverse religions and ways of life. And so Corinth was known for its lax moral values. And in particular, Corinth was the patron city 
of the Greek goddess Aphrodite. Aphrodite, we all know about. She's the lovely, young, beautiful lady, the goddess of love and lust and attraction and all these things who walks around and men can't resist her. And any attraction between a man and a woman is supposed to be from Aphrodite. She blesses a couple by giving them attraction. Her temple was in Corinth. And part of worshipping Aphrodite, and we won't talk about this today, but we will mention it for context, is that there were temple prostitutes around the temple who offered their services as a sacrifice to the goddess Aphrodite for your love life or your prosperity or your fertility or whatever it might be. Now, remember, the people of Corinth didn't grow up in the church the way we did. They grew up in their various religions, in a city that was known for its lax moral values, in the city that was upon which perched the temple of Aphrodite where these services were offered. And Paul is saying to them, you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have been washed clean. In Second Corinthians, he will say you are a new creation. You can't keep going back to the way you lived. You can't keep going back to the temple of Aphrodite when it suits you. And don't give me that nonsense about, oh, all things are permitted in the grace of Jesus. Paul says, well, that's not the, that's not the issue. It might be permitted, but it's not beneficial. You might think, oh, I can do anything. But if you think that way, things will become your master. I say this to help us narrow our focus going into the message. When Paul is speaking here about sexual immorality, he is speaking specifically about prostitution in Corinth. So we mustn't take this text and think he is talking to married couples about adultery or to unmarried people about sex before marriage. Of course, he has enough things that he says about those topics as well, which we need to talk about. But today we'll talk about what Paul is talking about. That's a responsible thing to do. He's saying, you cannot serve the Lord Jesus Christ and keep running to the prostitutes and the temple prostitutes when it suits you and then claim, oh, but I'm okay. God has forgiven me and will forgive me. Paul gives us a bit of an insight. He says there was a saying in the time uh, uh, at the time in Corinth, the food is, for, food is for the body and the body for food. They go together. And the implication that Paul is drawing is he's saying, well, you might just as easily say, sex is for the body and the body for sex. And then he says the verse that I want you to hold on to, no. God is for the body and the body for God. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for relationship with the Lord. Back to unintended consequences. The church has taken that verse, as well as other verses, and slightly twisted the meaning. And where Paul is saying to the people in Corinth, hang on, your body belongs to God, not to the act of prostitution in the temples of Aphrodite. We've taken the meaning and said, ah, what Paul is saying 
is the body is not meant for sex. What Paul's actually saying is the body is not meant for sexual immorality. You see the difference. And so in the church, we have created rules with the best intentions around people's sexuality and expression thereof. I saw a list in the paper the other day. It was an old story from about, I think, maybe the 1980s um, of a dance in America, some church dance, with the dress code. And at the top is a dress code for boys, button shirt, pants, shoes. One line. Can you guess how long the line, uh, how many lines there were for the dress code for the ladies at the dance? No straps, no lace, nothing uncovered, everything below the knee and above the shoulders, and it goes on and on and on, about 12 lines of what ladies are supposed to wear so that they are not a threat to the temptation of the young men at the dance. And it feels to me like we've done that with sex instead of sexual immorality in church. We've made all these rules to try and keep people safe But the cobra effect keeps knocking our feet out from under us. Now maybe you could say, in modern times, that's not the case anymore. We're we're quite liberal with the way we allow people to dress. We're quite liberal with the way we approach the sexuality of boys and girls, men and women. But Paul goes one step further. Paul doesn't say, ah, There's only one rule. Paul says, there are no rules. There's only Christ. Instead of giving you rules around how to live, you must realize that you belong to God, body, soul, and mind. It's not your soul that belongs to the Lord. It's not your intellect that belongs to the Lord. It's Everything, it's your body, the body you have now, belongs to God and not to sexual immorality. God will set you free. These other things will keep you in chains. And maybe on another occasion with another piece of scripture, we can talk about Ways in which the church has gotten that wrong. Ways in which the church has thought, oh, the more, ru- the more rules we make around sexuality, the better. But the best of intentions don't always work out the way we plan. And unfortunately, we see that in churches all around the world, that we end up with people who don't know the first thing about themselves as sexual beings. But enough of that. Um, Paul goes on. He starts by saying, hang on, you can't do whatever you like, you belong to God. Then he says, remember, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And this is a very direct thing he's saying in opposition to the temple of Aphrodite. He's saying, instead of thinking you must go to the temple of a Greek goddess to pray and to sacrifice and to do whatever you want to do, You must realize you are the temple. Don't run to the temples of other gods. The Holy Spirit lives within you. You are the temple of God. Now, 
treat your body the way you treat a temple. And of course, we know that verse very well. You know, my body is a temple. I don't get tattoos. I don't eat. I don't drink. I don't smoke because my body is a temple. It's not what Paul means. Paul means do not run to other places for your salvation. The Holy Spirit is within you. Run to God. Run to God who lives within you. I think this is a very important point. Going forward, talking about rules for freedom. To recognize that Paul is speaking from a place where he says, once you realize that you are the temple, you are the building, you are the place that God calls home, then you don't need so many rules. You just need to live in relationship with God. And all in all, I think what this piece of scripture tries to come to at the end is exactly that. And actually, we should have stopped this service just after Joy's testimony when she spoke about how you need God to be a friend. You need relationship with God. Because right at the end, Paul is saying, you belong to God. How can you belong to prostitutes? And here's the funny thing. We can very easily take that piece of scripture and say, you belong to God. How can you belong to gambling or to drinking or to abuse or to gluttony or to greed or to aggression? If you truly belong, if you truly belong to the Lord and if you believe and know that you are a temple of his spirit, how can you try and house these two different things in your body? How can you try and be a temple of the Spirit and a temple of the world at the same time? And then you might say, oh, well, if Paul's talking about temple prostitution, then I'm pretty safe. We don't have those anymore. But that's all, that's all he's talking about. In the next verse, uh, chapter in chapter 7 Paul will start talking about rules for marriage and he'll start saying you know what being married is great but being unmarried and devoting your life to God is better and he's not saying that because he's choosing sides he's saying it because Paul has realized being in relationship with God is very much like being in relationship with a significant other. Because the level of intimacy required of both is immense. Being in a healthy relationship with God is more difficult than being in a healthy relationship with another person, even if you love them very much and they love you very much. For Paul... It comes down to the intimacy of the relationship between me and God, between you and God. And Paul is saying, if you understand how intimately God knows you and loves you and cares for you, then you will find no place within yourself for sexual immorality or greed or gluttony or whatever it is you're struggling with. This is really important. This is, I think, the first time I realized this. Um, I had goosebumps for a week. Intimacy 
is something you cannot discover by yourself. You're not intimate with yourself. Intimacy is known and learned and explored in relationship to people. And where the world likes to tell us, well, intimacy is how much you love yourself. Real intimacy, the intimacy we learn of in the Word of God is the opposite. It's learning how much God loves you. Or if you think about your partner in life, intimacy is not how much you love your partner, but realizing how much your partner loves you. And this is why Paul is saying, if you understand the intimacy of God in your life, that you and God are so intimately connected and intertwined that your body has become the temple of His Spirit, then you cannot and will not and will not want to seek intimacy with all these other things. And this is the rule for freedom. This is the rule that Paul is laying down. Paul is saying, your relationship with God must be so close, you must work so hard at it, that you recognize when you are drifting away, when you are turning away. For Paul, it comes down to relationship, not rules. For Paul, it's about accepting that God knows you like no one can, that God loves you like no one can, living in that grace, in that realization, and then tackling the world. It's uh, probably not the... uh, (laughs) Probably not the best piece of scripture to, uh, to, to have your last sermon at a church on, but, uh, but that's the word of the Lord. We don't get to choose it. That's what the Lord offers up for all of us to hear. Um, and so in closing, um, I might just say thank you very much for the year that I've had uh, with all of you. Thank you for the way that we have been able to explore God's love of this church and God's word within the church together. And I hope that you have enjoyed getting to the, to the, uh, the truth of passages like this as much as I have. To realize that it's not about the rules we make. It's not about the things we have. It's about God every single time. Let's close our eyes and pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can read your word, and even read a piece of scripture that we might not like reading or talking about or talking about out loud, but you give us the conviction and you give us the courage and you open our hearts and our minds to hear your word. You do this in our lives, Lord, because you know us intimately. You know what we all need to hear. You do this and the word touches us in such a way because you are our father, our friend, our comforter. My prayer, Lord, for every person here, young and old, is that you will reignite that spark of intimacy that we will learn to see you in the new light, in a new light again, as the one who loves us as no one else can. 
May we learn from that understanding and grow from that understanding in relationship with you and take off the things of the world and clothe us all with your glory and your love and your majesty. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.